0: Know your enemies and know your friends. A study of the book of Hebrews. Have you ever seen something happen and then after it did happen, you told yourself, I am never gonna do it that way. Maybe as you've watched videos on on YouTube, for example, you might see one that, you know, the, the visuals look decent, but the audio is really, really bad. And you're thinking, if I ever do YouTube videos, I'm going to make sure that I've got the best microphone that I could possibly buy. If you would, in your own life, think about notable bad examples that you've either personally observed or you've read about, or maybe you've even done yourself at one point, how many of them have you learned from? Where you've changed the way you do something because of that bad example you saw playing out. And isn't that interesting like whenever a bad example plays out and then we learn from it we always know how the story ends right like you know what happens after the bad example is is finished you might uh, be watching for example while you're driving on a, on a highway someone go flying past you and and you've told your kids like you shouldn't speed and and then like way ahead you end up seeing that person on the side of the road and the children see that and they think wow dad was right you shouldn't speed because you get pulled over and you have to pay a traffic ticket right so often with bad examples we will measure them because we have seen how the story ends in Hebrews chapter 4 the Holy Spirit comes to us and shares an example and it is a very important example that helps us understand something God wants us to know as Christians. Remember, in the book of Hebrews, we're talking about temptations that, that are kind of uniquely shaped for Christians, and with the example that we find out about, this was a group of people that had a very close connection to God, and something, something very bad happened. So let's read in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it." As I read, you're going to hear the word rest a number of times. The word rest in this section can mean one of three things. Either it refers to the rest of the promised land of Canaan, where God had told his chosen people you're going to leave Egypt and you're going to." And then they went through the wilderness a little bit and then you're going to enter your rest that is the land of Canaan the promised land promised to Abraham another rest that is mentioned in this section is the seventh day of creation where God had finished all of his work and so there was this perfect peace of completion God's rest and the last rest that is described is a spiritual rest that we are at complete peace and calm we know that our sin is forgiven all is well all that needs to be done has been done and we are at rest So, the rest of the land of Canaan, the rest that is connected with the land of Canaan, the rest that the Lord had play out on day seven, where he had finished all of his work of creating, and then the spiritual rest that we have because of the forgiveness of our sins. So, hear that first verse again. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did and now this was the children of Israel who were looking forward to the rest of the promised land but the message they heard was of no value to them because they those who heard it did not combine it with faith now we who have believed enter that rest Hmm, this is puzzling now there's another rest because we don't live in the land of Canaan at least most of us don't just as God has said so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words and on the seventh day God rested from all of his work and in the again in the passage above he says they shall never enter my rest Now, if you're getting confused at this point just keep on with it it still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience Therefore God, again, set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. So, it's like your head kind of spin. You might go back to those verses in Hebrews chapter 4 and try to figure it out. Here's basically the bottom line. There was that rest in the Promised Land, the Canaan, right? They would get to be in the rest. But 400 years or more after that, there were some psalmists that the writer to the Hebrews quotes who speak about this rest as something that is still at risk. Something that they may or may not get into and you're saying, wait a second. For the Jews, they were already living in the Promised Land by that point. They got there in the 1400s BC so how could a psalmist be speaking about rest as if it was something that they could still potentially not get into and and then mentioning creation right where that's even further before if there has been rest on the seventh day since the beginning of the world what is this rest that we would still not yet be able to enjoy fully like what what is this rest that is still coming in the future And that future rest or that rest that we want to make sure we're entering is not the land of Canaan it's the spiritual rest of being at peace with God so God is telling his people um, in the book of Hebrews that they are at risk of having the same issue that the children of Israel had almost 1400 years before that they might not get into the rest now you might remember that with the children of Israel right where they left the land of Egypt they went to Mount Sinai then they're ready to enter the promised land and they send 12 spies and the 12 spies come back and two of them say let's go for it and 10 of them say no way we'll find out why they didn't want to go in but now the people were on the border of this land and the question was what would they do and they decided to go with the 10 spies who said no way like they did not trust that God could handle this And so God says to them, fine, then you are going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness and not a one of you, 18 years or older, who is alive today will enter into the promised land ever. You will not have rest. Well, then the people realized, okay, we must have made a big mistake. So they said, okay, we're going to go do it now. And God had told them they were not supposed to go in now. They were going to experience this 40 years of consequence, but again they defied God and they tried to go in and they got smashed. And then they realized if God is not with them, they will not be victorious so people on the border of the land of Canaan and the question is as they doubted as they faced a challenge and as they said God can't do this and they ended up losing so much when you think about your own life would you say when you compare yourself to those children of Israel on the border of the Promised Land who doubted and got a huge consequence, do you feel more similar than different to them? Or do you feel more different than similar to them? But like, can you relate? Are there moments in your life where you know you're kind of on a border and you know what God wants you to do? You know what you should do but you are scared where you are filled with doubts you're thinking there's no way that doing the right thing in this moment can be a good thing because I'm gonna get crushed listen to the specifics of when they were on the border of the promised land this is from numbers chapter 13 then Caleb who was one of the spies the two who said we ought to do this silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of, great, are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. The reason they didn't want to go into the Promised Land was because remember this was hand-to-hand combat to a large degree. Their soldiers are way bigger than ours, we're going to get crushed. If you imagine yourself standing there and hearing these reports and people tempted to doubt that God could pull this off, what would you say are your Nephilim, your giants, maybe the ancestors of Goliath right David of Goliath fame like who what who or what are those things that make you feel I don't know like as a Christian I I, I'm just I'm scared maybe it's a health crisis maybe it's recognizing that so much of what is publicly promoted in our world is not consistent with the Word of God. Maybe it's someone at your place of business where you thought, like, if I stand up for what I know is right, I don't think this is going to go well. I'm scared of what will happen next. Maybe it's something very personal where you know what God wants you to do and you know that you should trust the Lord and be at peace, but you are finding it so challenging to not be afraid. We have many different sorts of Nephilim or giants that were on the border and we know that if we step across we will face them. How do we face those giants? Hebrews chapter 4 verses 11 through 13 take us another step further. Let us therefore, so since this is the case, God wants us to enter into his rest. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example, their bad example, right, of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account so the lord describes this this example and we'd all agree yeah like that didn't go well for them i mean you know that as every individual who who doubted god all of those 18 years and older they When Moses finally got to the land of Canaan a second time, 40 years from that point, and Joshua was the one who was going to lead them, and every single person who had doubted God was dead in 40 years. It doesn't surprise us then that God says, so make every effort to enter that rest make every effort not to have happen to you what happened to the Israelites of long ago and remember we said now this rest is a a state of having a good relationship with God being at spiritual peace knowing that our sins are forgiven that all is well make every effort to enter into that rest when you think about activities in your life where you've dedicated every effort what comes to your mind what what is something that you have really 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 focused on And you've stayed up late or you've put in extra energy or do you maybe think of athletics if perhaps that's your thing where you knew you really wanted to make a team and you just ran and ran and ran or you practiced and practiced and practiced way above what maybe others would have would have done in your circumstance what is that thing where you would put in maybe it's getting a promotion at your job Where you're working extra hard to try to get your boss's attention and say, like, I really am capable of handling this greater responsibility. What is that thing that you've put extra effort into? Is it maybe in trying to be a good parent to a child who is struggling with something and like pulling your hair out, but you're doing everything you possibly can to help? So, as a Christian, what reasons do we come up with for thinking about God's rest? In a different light what reasons do we come up with for thinking that making every effort thing or giving an extra effort thing I don't know like I think about some things when that phrase comes to mind but I don't know that I think about my Christianity like so what is it what reasons do we come up with for thinking the making every effort thing doesn't fit our Christianity Is it because you've been a Christian all your life and it kind of feels like you're just always going to be like I know Jesus is my savior so that's it like the house is built right I mean if I don't know if any of you are home builders but if you build a house once you're done with a house are you thinking about building the house like no you think of it as something that's done and isn't that sometimes how we think about our Christianity rather than thinking about it as a battle like which of course is never done right until there's final victory that we think about it like the house is built and that that can be a temptation? What other reasons might you have for thinking about God's rest not in a make every effort way? Maybe you're thinking well I know that Jesus died for all my sins so there's nothing that I have to do like I see those two truths as not matching up if Jesus did it all then how could it be right that I have to make every effort So we'll actually say that God is wrong when he says make every effort now of course we like we know that God he can't be wrong he will help us understand what he's thinking about i'd like you to try to complete this sentence when the word of God is not a constant in my life what when the word of God is not a constant in my life What? You might think of a number of answers that could fall into that blank, but listen to this verse to see if this points you in a certain direction. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So it says the Word of God penetrates judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When the Word of God is not a constant in my life, then it's not judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. That's what we think about. What God says, if the Word of God is not a regular part of our life, is that we aren't seeing the sins that are on the inside. Those sins that we commit of thought, The sins that are these subtle attitudes right like we know like we can maybe feel like we have some kind of a management over the outward like I can make myself not do this particular thing or maybe sometimes we can keep ourselves from saying something that we should have kept inside but how often can you keep yourself from thinking something something that is very very wrong it might be a desire for revenge that is on the inside it might be A sinful lustful desire that is on the inside it might be a desire that is greedy not satisfied with what God has given to you to me like all of the desires of assuming the worst and bitterness and impatience and worry the word of God is a sword living and active Sometimes some may hear that verse and say, just like in general, the word of God is living and active and can do these amazing things and can raise the dead and it can create faith in someone's heart and like all of those things are true. But that is not what God is talking about here. God is describing the power of his word to expose the wickedness of our hearts. if you've ever been in a place where you're thinking I'm not that bad the word of God is there to say hold on just a second here do you see what kinds of thoughts are going through your mind and you're saying I don't get why that's so important to God why do I have to worry about my thoughts like I just want to keep myself from hurting other people or whatever and God says listen here's what happened to people who were part of God's children thousands of years ago They ended up not being able to enter God's rest. God says, I don't want that to happen to you. What do you need to know so that that doesn't happen to you? You need to know that the thoughts of your heart are dangerous. Dangerous. You need your sin exposed. God penetrating and showing you. Because God God needs to know this. God knows everything it's so we see what's inside and why would God want us to see what's on the inside it's because if we set aside this idea of effort-filled focus and we don't see the sin that's on the inside then we are in trouble of ultimately not entering the rest of falling into doubt and God cares about you God tells you that your sins of thought are pathways to destruction now there are some more words here and one of the very strange words is the word therefore listen to what he says next and then try to figure out how the therefore can make sense you've heard what he's just said where we are feeling very very uncomfortable with this need to expose what's on the inside and then he says therefore Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need." Oh, that that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But listen. The last verse we previously had read was everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, you'd almost expect after that therefore, you're doomed. God knows everything. It's going to be laid bare before his eyes. Therefore, you're doomed. And, And we ought to be. But what the writer to the Hebrews is always having in mind is that he is talking to children of God to Christians who want to enter the rest and as he's described the bad example and as he's described how we can fall into that very same trap and as he's noted how sins of thought are at the heart of us drifting away from the Lord he now says therefore don't let go of your confidence because that which gives you confidence is your great high priest now people back in that day had a much better idea of what a high priest was a high priest was someone who stood between people and God he represented God's people and in particular he represented them because the sin of the people would keep them from going into the presence of God they, they would be punished they could not enter into the presence of a perfect God and so What the high priest would do, it was only once a year he got to go into the most holy place of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. But if he went in there without blood, he would die. If he went in there any other day of the year, he would die. Because you can't stand in the presence of God with sin. But the blood of an animal sacrificed, it pictured... A sacrifice that Jesus Christ was going to make where his blood paid the price for all of our sin and so covered in Jesus blood we can walk into the presence of God because then the Lord sees only the perfection of Jesus the blood of Jesus which paid the eternal price of death and eternal death so that high priest had blood which he brought with him and sprinkled on the altar and then he could stand in the presence of God on behalf of the people therefore hold on to your confidence because you've got a great high priest you have someone who's representing you and that high priest is Jesus right Jesus is the one who did it it is true that Christians can have a false sense of security where they think they're not in any danger where they think that well it's not that big a deal I don't have to regularly use the Word of God to expose my sin because I know I'm a sinner I've already admitted I'm a sinner and God says no 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 you need to find out what's going on on the inside you need to have the Word of God expose those subtle wicked tricks of the devil Christians can have a false sense of security but Christians are also vulnerable to losing any sense of security because then they they realize how wicked they, their heart is and they think there's no way that I can ever be what God wants me to be and they're right they can't and so they are tempted to despair of all things and there they are wrong because we have a high priest you've got someone who stepped in between you and and the God who should have judged you and that's it we can't solve this dilemma by our power we cannot cross the border into God's rest by our own power the Israelites could not take on the Nephilim by their own power but that does not mean that the two spies who said don't worry about this were wrong You didn't have to worry about it because of God's power you don't need to be concerned that your sin has permanently forever separated you from God because you have a savior Jesus and that high priest that goes between us and God oh there is so much more to know again for the original readers they knew a lot but even for them the writer to the hebrews continues he said every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to god to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness that is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people so those high priests had multiple sacrifices because they were representing the people but they Were also themselves and they were not perfect either now no one takes this honor upon himself he must be called by God just as Aaron was now the comparison so the Messiah Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest but God said to him you are my son today I have become your father and he says in another place you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek so Jesus was appointed to his job just like an Old Testament priest was appointed by God to his job Now, check out what it says about Jesus' time on this earth. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, a lot, lot there. And that Melchizedek thing, we're going to go on and talk about that a little bit later. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says himself that yeah, there's a lot more to say about this, but, but we're going to wait to talk about that. What will we not wait to talk about? As Jesus was a high priest, there were so many traits of him that matched the earthly high priest's. One of them was that he was called by god like he was specifically designated to be this priest in our place but there's another feature and that is that jesus suffered there was weakness associated with him not the weakness of having sinned but weakness in fact jesus gave up the full use of his divine power and authority to be our substitute to be like us in every way except without sin do you ever suffer Jesus has suffered are you ever at a border where you know that God wants you to take the step across but you're scared because you know what's on the other side when you think about those children of Israel when they were at the border how was Jesus experience different from the experience of those children of Israel who heard the report of the twelve spies you see Jesus stood at so many borders as well with dangers just over the other side the Israelites we saw that bad example we know that they doubted God and they lost everything Jesus He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears from the one who could save him from death. Jesus was at his border and he prayed and with cries and with tears. In his state of submission to the Father, there was, he lowered himself we are weak he was like us he was begging as he was crying that his father keep his promise his promises that is your perfect substitute jesus saw the giants on the other side and he depended on his father when he was in the wilderness right The devil comes to him and says you're hungry make bread and Jesus said no I depend on my father he's going to take care of me completely you can stand on the edge of your borders with whatever is scary on the other side and you can know that Jesus has yes been your perfect substitute and that is a comfort to you because you stand before God dressed in the robe of Jesus righteousness not your own sin praise the Lord But it also reminds you that it is okay to be in a place where you don't know exactly how the future is going to play out, but you do know exactly who the one is who is holding your future in his hands. You can stand at your border and not be afraid of the giants. Because Jesus is going with you. We began our conversation today thinking about a bad example. And we don't want to follow bad examples because we've seen how things turn out. When one does, what is the bad example? You know, with Jesus, not only do we have a savior, we also have an example. And you know how Jesus' example turned out was amazing. He had the victory. When the Lord says to you, make every effort to enter that rest, we know what he's saying. He is saying, take the word of God. Have the warnings of God's word penetrate to your very heart. In fact, the word is powerful to make that happen all on its own. Read the word of God as it penetrates to exposing your sin and you acknowledge your sin. And you are terrified because of the God who will judge all. Then make every effort to enter that rest by remembering that you have a high priest, you have a Savior, you have one who has stood between you and God, your sin now washed away. Joyfully make every effort to enter into God's rest. You've got a great example Jesus, trusting in his Father you on the border trusting in your god let's close with a prayer dear heavenly father you know each of our weaknesses you know how we are so tempted to sin in those moments when we have opportunity to trust please expose our sin to us daily thank you for sending jesus to be our savior and dear lord please help us energetically pursue that rest as you work in us both to will and to act in line with your own good pleasure as by your grace we use your powerful word that protects us in jesus name we pray amen